20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You, of course, can follow me on X at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Huge quick shout out to Corey Lampy, who is our brand new Packaday Podcast YouTube member. If you have not yet checked those out, make sure to do so. Four different options available, starter, pro bowler, all pro, and of course, hall of fame, all different options. You can get bonus content. You can get early content. You can get member Q and A's. There's all different stuff out there. So make sure to check that out. If you can't do that, like, subscribe, comment, anything you can do to support the podcast is greatly appreciated. Before we jump into our main topic today, I did want to go over the Packers new finance and salary cap situation. Of course, Green Bay, along with every other team in the league, saw their salary cap increase significantly this past week. $255.4 million is the official number that the NFL has set the salary cap at. For those of you who watched my salary cap video, if you haven't, you should. If you have, you remember, I think I put it somewhere around $243 million for this upcoming season. And I did highlight the fact that we didn't know the number yet. It could go up, it could go down. But with this number going up, it doesn't change a ton of things. But what I'm hoping it does for Green Bay is make it so that they have to do fewer restructures and void years and push money into future seasons. They are going to need to make some releases they are going to need to do some restructuring. That goes without saying. And if they want to do additional restructuring because it gives them the opportunity to go after a player that they really want right now, I have no issue with that. But I do think this added money that they're now going to have this season does open the possibility that you can do minimal restructures, release a few players, still sign some quality free agents to bolster your team right now, still use all those great draft picks that you have this year to bolster the team right now and keep open a huge, huge potential possibility in 2025 to have significant money to spend to really bolster your roster if you're just a little bit patient with everything. Now, I will say it one more time. If they want to borrow some of that money now and use some of that money now, as long as they're doing it for players that are going to be in that window for the next two, three, four seasons, that's fine. That's great. It doesn't really matter if you use the money now or later, if it's a player that's going to help you all throughout that process, that is fine. The one thing I would be disappointed in is if they used a bunch of void and restructures to sign mercenaries, 30 plus year old players to one year deals in a win now type of move, which you know, basically puts you in a situation where you better win a Super Bowl or you just lose out on all of that flexibility. That would be the one thing I would be disappointed in. It's also the one thing I am fairly fairly certain that Green Bay is not going to do in any way, shape, or form. But like I said, this is still a huge advantageous situation for Green Bay. It should set them up sort of in the best of both worlds where they have the ability to continue to build this team through the draft, can add a couple free agents, don't need to mortgage the future and set themselves up incredibly, incredibly well for 2025. This is great news for Green Bay. You do have to remember that it is the same for everyone. So it's not like they got bumped up and nobody else did. Everyone gets bumped up, which is going to raise the rates for free agents. It's going to raise the rate for Jordan Love. It's going to raise the rate for a lot of things, but I still think it helps them so that they don't have to do as many restructures, kind of getting them back from all the way back when the COVID season happened and they had to start borrowing because they had 
have less money than they were expecting. And now is sort of the time where they can finally get that right. I think they will this offseason. There are going to be, I'm hoping, some limits to what they do. But I would be very, very shocked if Goody and Russ Ball went completely out of character and just said, F it, we're spending everything that's just so out of character for both of them. I do think they can add quality free agents and not have to sacrifice a ton of future flexibility. Because of this change, they are in a very, very, very good spot. And I'm super excited to see what this offseason brings and with a little bit of patience, what the 2025 offseason could bring in a major, major way. All right, main topic time. If you saw my episode yesterday, I'll say it once again. If you did not, go check that one out. It's sort of like a nice precursor or a nice complimentary episode to today's episode. Yesterday, I went over nine Packers that I said, hey, do not forget about these guys. There are talented players that we're not talking about that could potentially take a step or be involved in this 2024 roster that have just sort of flown under the radar. So nine players yesterday that I did not want you to forget about. Today, we're going to go through 10 players who I think it is a now or never situation, meaning these players need to figure things out right now in 2024, or they are not going to be Green Bay Packers for much longer. Now, the players on this list are in a variety of different situations. There are players on this list that we're about to go over that will be key starters for this team this upcoming season. But if they have poor seasons, 2024 will be the last season. There are other players on this list who will ultimately probably end up not even making the team, but I still think they control their own destiny as they go into this offseason, as they go into OTAs and mini camps and training camps to try to finally earn that roster spot and make it so that they are a potential core member of this team moving forward. But it is in these players' hands, it is now or never, and it is up to these 10 to make it so that they continue to be Green Bay Packers. Otherwise, like I said, their time will ultimately be coming to an end sooner rather than later. I'm going to go through four offensive players, then four defensive players, and then two special teams players. So let's kick things off right away on offense. And I'm starting with number one on my list, and that is Samore Toure. Samore Toure was a training camp darling just this past year. There was a ton of positive talk about him. If you remember, the name Samore Toure got brought up over and over and over. It was eerily reminiscent to Tyler Davis in 2022, and maybe we just need to stop bringing up players' names over and over and over because apparently it is sort of the kiss of death. But he was a training camp darling just this past year. It looked like he was going to take a significant step with moving on from a lot of the veteran wide receivers like an Alan Lazard, like a Randall Cobb, like a Sammy Watkins. There was going to be all of this playing time available. And Samore Toure, along with Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, were the only carryovers, I guess to some extent, Bo Melton, you could argue, who was a practice squad signee off the Seahawks practice squad last year. But Toure, Dobbs, and Watson were the only three that actually had playing time last year that were carried over into this season. And you knew that Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and some of these guys were going to get opportunities, but you also thought there was a significant opportunity there for Samore Toure to grab some of those snaps and take them and own them and make them his. And like I said, through training camp, through OTAs, through mini camps, through all of it, it looked like he had earned himself not only a 53-man roster spot, but a potential spot within the rotation of the offense. However, then every single wide receiver on the roster decided to be really, really good. And everyone basically passed him by. We know Dobbs and Watson are going to be ahead of Samore Toure. Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed easily put themselves ahead. And then Bo Melton, Malik Heath, 
also put themselves ahead of Samore Toure. And then you still have a guy out there like Grant Dubose, who, like Toure, was a seventh round pick, but is a year younger, has yet to have the opportunities that Samore Toure has had, where Toure has maybe not made the most of those. Dubose, we just haven't seen him given those opportunities. A little bit younger, like I said, a draft class, you know, draft class later. And there's an argument to be made that maybe Dubose has a little bit more upside just based on the unknown. We've sort of seen Toure, we haven't seen Dubose. And that doesn't even include any draft pick or undrafted free agent that they would add to this roster this upcoming offseason. I don't think they're going to be super involved in free agency or anything like that at the wide receiver position. They just already have too many bodies. But if you get to a spot where just the best player available is a wide receiver, well, that's going to make things even more complicated. And even if they don't draft one, even if they go through all seven rounds and somehow they do not draft a single wide receiver, you know they're going to add a couple players via undrafted free agency and nobody's had success finding undrafted free agents at the wide receiver position, quite like the Green Bay Packers. Add to the fact that Samore Toure will be turning 26 years old. Again, he was only a seventh round pick. He's got two years remaining on the deal. All of the depth at the position. He's also coming off what seemed to be a pretty significant injury. All we know it was a knee injury and that Matt LaFleur said he was going to be out a significant period of time. In two seasons, Toure has only played 251 offensive snaps, which have mostly been pretty nondescript. He has three total special team snaps in two seasons as well. If you're trying to make the 53-man roster as the last sixth or seventh guy as a wide receiver, you better be able to play teams. And so far, Samore Toure has not shown the ability or propensity to be able to do that. In his two seasons, he has 13 catches for 160 yards, one touchdown. He does have two fumbles on his resume as well. And there's no question about it. There is talent there within Samore Toure. I think he has ability you know, to help teams in the NFL. But you sort of look at Toure now, especially with the depth that Green Bay has at wide receiver, and you kind of think of him as like, hey, if we could get him back on the practice squad, that would be great. But I'm not so sure that I want to necessarily spend a 53-man roster spot knowing the players that you have on your depth chart already at that position. So Samore Toure wants to remain a 53-man roster candidate. If he wants to remain a member of the Green Bay Packers, it is very clearly a now or never situation for Toure this offseason. Number two on my list is a very, very, very different situation than anyone else on this list. And that is David Bakhtiari. This has nothing to do with his level of play on the field when he is out there. And I've talked enough about David Bakhtiari in a variety of different ways from contract to injury situation to why it makes sense either to ultimately release him or to figure out a new contract that would work for both Green Bay and Bakhtiari. But there within lies the issue of why it's now or never for Bakhtiari. As I have said to you guys on a couple different occasions, the one thing I can tell you for sure is that David Bakhtiari will not be back on his current contract. There's no way Green Bay can put at risk another $21 million in you know guaranteed money if he's on the roster the first week of the season where he potentially could not play based on some of the injury issues that he has, especially when Green Bay has the ability to get out of that contract. So Bakhtiari and his agent will also know that Green Bay has the ability to get out of that deal. And then it becomes up to Bakhtiari and his agent to say, how can we make this work in Green Bay if we want to make this work in Green Bay? And by all accounts, certainly by Bakhtiari, it seems to be that he does want to stay in Green Bay. 
Well, if that is the case, it's now or never, meaning you need to figure out a contract that will work for both Green Bay and yourself. And if it doesn't happen, he's just going to be gone. And that sucks. It's the worst. You wish they could figure out a way to make everything work and his knee just be perfect and him to play at a super high level like he always does when he's out on the field. But if they cannot pin down a contract that probably has extremely minimal base salaries and minimal guarantees with an incentive-laden deal where if he plays a ton, he can still get paid a ton. If there's something like that that makes sense for both sides, great. But he has to figure out a contract and he has to be healthy. And if he doesn't, we're just straight up looking at the end of the David Bakhtiari era right in the face as much as that sucks. I'm hoping he's back in some capacity and they figure something out. But if they can't, they just have to release him based on the way the current contract is set up. So fingers crossed they figure something out, but this is not a performance-based issue. This is not a, you know, whatever. This is not like anyone else on this list. It's just the contract and injury have got to figure themselves out sooner rather than later. And if they don't, it's just simply time to move on. So it's now or never, unfortunately, for David Bakhtiari as well. Let's stick on the offensive line. Number three on my list, you can probably guess, A, because if you're watching this on YouTube, he is the center of the image on today's thumbnail, uh, but that's Josh Myers. Josh Myers is going into year four as the starting center of the Green Bay Packers. And despite everyone wanting to tell everyone otherwise, I do not believe that Josh Myers is playing the best football of his career. Guys, I can look you in the eye and tell you, all right, when Brian Gutekunst and when Adam Stenovich both went on the record in press conferences and said, hey, Josh Myers is playing the best football of his career. Guys, I swear to you, I did everything in my power to like put as many rose tinted glasses that I could on and be like, if I squint just enough when I'm watching the tape, can I just, can I find all of the amazing things that Josh Myers is doing? I really tried to have an extremely open mind. And there were games where undoubtedly he played fine, sometimes even well but the inconsistencies from Josh Myers are littered throughout the tape. And I do think there is a real possibility that some of the stuff that he does that doesn't show up on the tape could make a very significant difference. I'm sure some of the checks that he's doing, the communication he has with Jordan Love, we saw, you know, for all the talk of like how amazing Creed Humphrey is and Josh Myers is terrible in comparison, Creed Humphrey had like a thousand awful snaps in that playoff run where he's like just dribbling it back to Patrick Mahomes. Josh Myers snaps the ball pretty darn well. We don't see very many errant snaps from him. There are things that Josh does well, but you will also see him just lose on far too many occasions. And it's just that pure level of inconsistency that sort of drives you mad because as I've said about Josh so many times before, I could put a highlight tape together from Josh, 10 plays from just about every game with that cut up where you'd be like, man, he looks like a Pro Bowl center. And I could put up another 10 plays from Josh Myers in pretty much every single game that would make you think, is this guy an NFL player? And like, that is the conundrum that you have facing you game in and game out with Josh Myers. And there's probably to some extent, or again, like I said earlier, maybe I'm undervaluing some of the things that he is doing. I've just, I've watched, and maybe it's not fair to compare him to the litany of really good centers that Green Bay's had for so long. Your Corey Lindsley's, your Scott Wells, your JC Treaders, your Frank Winters, your uh, Mike Flanagan's. Like they've just had a very long stretch of really good centers. And I just don't put Josh Myers anywhere near those names on that list. And it's just been far too inconsistent for my liking and what I think should be Green Bay's liking as well. 
He's in the final year of his deal. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2025. Green Bay should already be looking for upgrades this offseason right now to at least give him competition in 2024. We know that if Green Bay all of a sudden drafts really good players elsewhere, that both Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom are probably better starting centers right now than what Josh Myers is. They're, they could look at potentially moving some other players into that position as well. Again, they could draft players. A great season for Myers. If he goes out and, ha- and literally plays the best football of his career, he's going to get paid and maybe even has the opportunity to solidify himself as the long-term center in Green Bay. If he has a bad season, he probably just solidifies himself as an NFL journeyman who will probably stick around for eight to nine years, have a nice career, start a decent amount of games, back up some games, but never really be that guy that is ultimately trusted to be the centerpiece of your, the literal centerpiece of your offensive line and be the long-term guy for any given franchise. So this is really the make or break season for Myers, in my opinion. Really good year, contract extension becomes the long-term center. Really bad year, and there's just no other option than, in my opinion, to go in a different direction and finally try to find that real, true, legitimate center that they've been searching for really since Corey Lindsley left. So that is what is at stake here for Josh Myers in 2024. Next on my list, Caleb Jones. He has had two consecutive redshirt seasons. He will be, he's right now an exclusive rights free agent, which Green Bay will pick up that option, which is basically what it is. He, he will be a restricted free agent in 2025. But this is where the rubber sort of meets the road for Caleb Jones. We have seen this path before for Packers developmental offensive tackles. We saw it with Yash Nyman and we saw it with Alex Light. And this is sort of the divergent path of, all right, either you're Yash and you are ready to legitimately be the swing tackle in Green Bay and potentially even start games if it comes to that, or you're Alex Light and it just never clicks. And we put you know two years of red shirt uh, opportunities into you. And when your number was called, you weren't ready and you just weren't good enough. That's not a diss on Alex Light. He's an undrafted free agent. He did his best. I really liked Alex Light coming out as an undrafted guy. It just didn't work. Yeah, you know, Yash did. And he became a really viable swing tackle for Green Bay. But Green Bay is not going to give him another 53-man roster spot to be like, well, it's going to be 2025 that he's the guy. 2025, like I said, he'll be a restricted free agent. And if you want to retain his services, it's going to be over $2 million to put a free agent tender on him. You're not just going to redshirt him this year and then pay him that money next year. So it is really legitimately now or never for Caleb Jones. And I have liked Caleb Jones, 6'9", 370. Not many humans that size that can move the way that Caleb Jones does. I do think there's a you know potential there. I think, you know, we saw last year they used, I think it was what Yash Nyman as somebody who could maybe block some kicks from the center of the field goal block unit. Well, you've got a six nine guy in Caleb Jones. He might even be a little bit better at that. But he needs to prove he can bring something to the table. There were games this year where Green Bay only had to deactivate one player in order to, you know, because of all the injuries on the roster on game day, when you make your inactives, they only had to deactivate one healthy player. And that healthy player that they deactivated was Caleb Jones. In two seasons in Green Bay, he has zero snaps of offense and one snap of special teams. Like I said, he has to prove that he can contribute to this team in some capacity. And if he can't, it's just time to ultimately go in another direction. All right, that does it for my offensive guys. Let's jump over to defense. Number five on my list, TJ Slayton. Slayton will be 27 in October. He will be an unrestricted free agent in 2025. 
The flashes from TJ Slayton are stupid, and I mean that in all the best ways. They are ridiculously amazing. He, at his size, can win so quick, and the upside has been so tantalizing because he will put a game together and he'll put strings of plays together that make you go, he can be one of the best defensive tackles in football. The way he moves at his size is incredible. He can stuff the run. He can take on double teams. He can penetrate into the backfield. He can get pressures. He is a unique freak when he wants to be. But here's the issue with TJ Slayton. There will be games where he looks amazing and then you will consistently not hear from him for about four more weeks. And then he'll have a really nice game. And then five or six weeks go by and you don't hear TJ Slayton's name. And there will be a bad game mixed in there. And there will be a great game mixed in there. And it's just that same sort of level of inconsistency, not all that dissimilar to what you have with Josh Myers. Although I think Slayton's a little bit of a better player than what Myers is. Slayton in three seasons has not put together a full season of consistent play. He's rarely put back-to-back weeks together of consistent play. But what you see from him in those limited spurts is a high-end talent. And contract years do really weird things to players like that. And if TJ Slayton goes out in a contract year and goes out and actually plays consistently and has that best season of his career, he is going to get paid, paid in the offseason. And I'm not saying that that will necessarily be by Green Bay or that Green Bay should do that with one contract year season from Slayton, but it will get him significantly paid. But if he does not, if we just see sort of the same TJ Slayton, he will have a role in the NFL. He is a starting caliber defensive tackle, just kind of keeping things status quo. He will have a job for a while because of his size, strength, and athletic ability. But the difference here is like a one-year, $3 million deal for some team to give him a rotational spot on a defensive line, or a potential four-year, $60 million deal if he goes out and has an amazing season. And like I said, if he wants to stay in Green Bay, then that better be right here, right now, and one of the best years that we've seen, the best year that we've seen from TJ Slayton. He should fit in very, very well at nose tackle in this new scheme. Now, he might have to take a step behind Kenny Clark in that true nose tackle role. I still think they're going to rotate those guys pretty liberally. They know they can play Kenny at the three technique as well. So if they want to get Slayton in, they just bump Kenny over. I don't think that's going to be a big deal. I think Slayton's still going to play a significant amount of snaps, but it better be an impressive year for TJ, or it's probably just going to be time for Green Bay to again go in another direction. Number six, same position, and that is Jonathan Ford. And Jonathan Ford, the defensive tackle, is basically the exact same uh, Caleb Jones situation, but just on the defensive side of the ball. In this case, instead of being an undrafted free agent, he was a late seventh round pick in 2022. He's also basically had two redshirt seasons, although this past season was, and really the past two seasons, have been almost all in the practice squad. But he did make, remember, the initial 53-man roster this past year, and then they released him, uh, waived him, nobody claimed him, and then he stayed the entire season on the practice squad. In two seasons, he has zero snaps on defense, zero snaps on special teams. This dude is 6'5", 338. He has great size for his position. Like I said, he's basically the Caleb Jones of defense, this big, you know, behemoth of a, you know, of a, of a lineman who has not played, who's Green Bay's put two years into to try to develop him, but he has to show that he is worthy of a roster spot. 
I've said for a long time, I would try to just weaponize this dude as a run defender. Can you find a way to get him 12 snaps a game where he's a dominant run defender? I don't need him to ever put a pass rush move on. If I can put him in for 12 snaps and have him be a great run defender, he will have a ton of value on this team. But even when he was in his last year of college as this huge behemoth defensive tackle, in goal line situations, they would not play him because they did not trust him because he played with horrible pad level. This has got to be a situation where he shows that he can add some value on the 53-man roster to be active on Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays or whatever they're playing and actually go out and make an impact. He hasn't shown that ability yet. And if he doesn't, you're probably just looking at either another practice squad season or Green Bay just might say altogether, we're going in another direction. Number seven on my list, Isaiah McDuffie. McDuffie is in the final year of his contract. He will hit unrestricted free agency next year. But in the meantime, we know that the Packers are moving to more of a 4-3 defense and he will have every opportunity to be a legitimate starting inside linebacker or off-ball linebacker. And um, that could be even be more than just like, yeah, if they're in base defense, sure. But like he could legitimately be a top two guy with Quay Walker, at least be given that opportunity depending upon what they do this offseason with Devondre Campbell and that linebacker position. This is another player who will either probably solidify himself as a seven to eight year NFL journeyman who primarily plays special teams and is a number five or number six linebacker, or he finally proves that like, hey, I am better than that and I can go out and play linebacker consistently and make an impact. I talked about this with Peter Bukowski last week. I don't think that you want to lean on Isaiah McDuffie as a full-time starting linebacker, but there have been flashes. I know Mike Wall has been a believer in Isaiah McDuffie, and there's not anyone on this defense that knows Jeff Halfley better, that knows his defense better. And like I said, in this defense, he will be given a legitimate opportunity to be a player and and go out and play. Now, whether that is, again, just base defense 20% of the game or whether he can earn more than that is going to be up to him. But if he gets that opportunity, if he puts his knowledge of this defense together with a real legitimate opportunity to be a real player within this defense, if he goes out and has a great year, he's going to probably get signed back and he's probably going to be a key piece for this defense moving forward. If not, like I said, you're maybe bringing back, maybe don't. But if you do, it's probably as that number five or six linebacker special teams guy, and you're probably not looking at him as a legitimate starting threat moving forward. So this is going to be a very, very big offseason for Isaiah McDuffie. All right, number eight on my list is a big one. That is Eric Stokes. Former first round pick, of course. We know that his fifth-year option is not going to be picked up. I would be beyond shocked if they picked up his fifth-year option, meaning he will ultimately be an unrestricted free agent after the season. A mix of really poor technique and really awful injury luck has left him really in a situation where his career has basically been derailed. First year as a rookie, looked like a legitimate NFL starter. There were flaws in his game as a rookie too but he covered with it with athleticism. You were hoping that he was going to get better with his technique as time went on. And then he came back in year two, looked way worse, way, way worse. Didn't look anywhere near the same player. Then goes out with an injury, misses the rest of 2022, misses almost all of 2023, but besides two games where he's working off the rust, but he did not look like the same player again that he did as a rookie. The big question is going to be, can he retain his speed? But this off season for him and this season for him, He's going to make the 53-man roster, uh, barring an injury where he's on IR again, really defines, can he get his career back on track and be a legitimate starting corner in this league? Or on the flip side, 
we might not even be talking about a journeyman here. We might be talking about somebody who Josh Jackson or Kevin Kings themselves out of the league. If he legitimately isn't the same athlete and he doesn't learn technique, he's just not going to make an NFL roster for very long because you you don't have the high-end athleticism and you don't have the technique to play corner. You're just not going to survive in the league. And just like Kevin King fell out of the league and just like Josh Jackson fell out of the league, different situations, you know, different circumstances, but the same thing will happen to Eric Stokes. This is a massive, massive year. And you know, Green Bay is going to want to try to get as much ROI out of that first round pick, but he has to stay healthy. He's going to have to come in and compete. He's going to have to earn every snap. And then he has to develop as a true corner. This is year four. This is time to sort of put up or shut up. And assuming he is healthy, what I'm looking for is like, listen, he's probably not going to be the same 4-240 guy, but I need to see him be really sound with his technique, with his press coverage, with him flipping his hips, with him getting his eyes back on the ball. Remember, jump ball situations and playing the ball in the air, playmaking has been a bit of an issue. Gets a little bit grabby at times. Players can beat him clean. Good route runners have given him a lot of trouble. This is where the mastery of the position is going to come in very, very huge. And hopefully he's been studying and watching the playbook and, and, and you know watching the tape and everything else to try to prepare himself for this upcoming year, even when he's been hurt. But this is going to be a legitimate make or break season for Eric Stokes coming up. All right, that is the four on defense. Let's finish up with our two on special teams. Number nine on my list is Matt Orzek. We don't need to spend a ton of time on Matt Orzek, but he sort of under the radar had a very poor season this past year. The snaps were extremely inconsistent. I would be shocked if Green Bay does not bring in competition. It's not like Matt Orzik is this really like young up and he's 29 years old in April. Now that doesn't mean a ton when you can snap until you're like 42 as a long snapper, but you know, he's still going to be 29. It's not like he's 23 and up and coming. He's set to make 1.125 million with zero in dead cap. So if they want to move on, they can easily move on. Anyone at the league minimum who's either played three years or less would make less than him. And if they somehow find like an undrafted free agent rookie who can do what he's doing, uh, they will potentially save over $300,000 by going in that direction on a minimum rookie deal rather than what Orzik is making right now. And if it comes down to Orzik and a undrafted guy, and they're both in a very similar situation, Green Bay is going to go with the undrafted guy because he's going to be younger, cheaper, and under team control for longer. This is a situation where if Matt Orzik does not improve, he's probably going to get replaced. And there's, you know, he was fine with the Rams, but not as good this past season. I think Green Bay was hoping that they just kind of found their guy. They paid him as such, but it didn't work out in 2023. They need better from Orzik in 2024. And last but not least, number 10 on my list is Anders Carlson. The Packers are competing right now. And Anders already played a significant role in the Packers elimination against the 49ers by missing a kick. Some would say that he should already be gone. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he should have competition this season, but let's just put it this way. A really bad camp from Anders Carlson gets him cut. I don't care that he was a draft pick last year. I don't care that, you know, Rich Passaccia seems to really like him. If he goes out in this training camp preseason and just has a really poor camp in preseason, Green Bay has to go in a different direction. They are competing right now for playoff seeding, for a potential opportunity to go to a Super Bowl. That is what they're trying for in 2024. And they cannot go into the season with a kicker that they cannot trust. And right now, Anders Carlson has given them very few reasons to trust him moving forward. 
He should have every opportunity to compete legitimately in camp. And if he wins the job, great. That's awesome. I want to see him take up, you know, take a step and just be better and legitimately become Green Bay's long-term kicker. That would be awesome. Uh, you know, Mason Crosby obviously had some struggles early in his career, in the middle of his career, and Green Bay stayed patient. They stuck with him and it paid off more often than not. Hopefully that's the exact same thing with Anders Carlson. But if he has a poor camp, he's gone. They have to go in a different direction. If he kicks really well, could be a guy for the next decade in Green Bay. But that's how much this offseason matters for Anders because his entire career could flip you know, based on how he kicks in this offseason, camp, mini camp, OTAs, and in the preseason. The leash has to be super, super short. I would expect them to add more competition. They've already added one kicker this offseason. They will add more, but the time to prove himself is right now. All right. So just to recap my list of 10 Packers who are on the now or never list. It's prove it time and they better go out and have a really good offseason and season. Samore Toure, David Bakhtiari, Josh Myers, Caleb Jones, TJ Slayton, Jonathan Ford, Isaiah McDuffie, Eric Stokes, Matt Orzek, and Anders Carlson. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be right back here tomorrow with Alex Strofe and Perry Goldstein. Make sure not to miss that one. Subscribe if you haven't already. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Shea Bradad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, and Donald Decker. I will see you guys tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!